Josh, I've been thinking maybe we should do some silly sound effects over our voices for the people who might be a little offended by this episode. Oh, yeah? What would that sound like? <laughs> That's un unintelligible, though. Are you calling me unintelligent? <laughs> <laughs> Only when you talk about this episode. <laughs> I understand. So while we're saying something controversial, we should sound unintelligent. Is Yikes. that what you're saying? <laughs> this episode's gonna flop. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Welcome to Investigation Check. I'm Anthony. And I'm Josh. On this show, we talk about the culture and psychology of D&D. Each episode, we will take a different idea within the world of D and talk about it. We'll ask questions, interview friends and professionals, and we'll see what we can learn. Basically, we're making investigation checks within the world of D&D. So for this episode, we're talking about women's experiences playing D&D. We're calling this episode Boys Club. Here's what we don't mean. We're not referring to the treehouse that says, no girls allowed. Instead, we're asking if the game is experienced differently by women based on the game being played by and written by mainly men. So I came up with this episode idea because one trip to my friendly local game store, and I couldn't help but notice, by and large, like over 90 or 95% of the people playing Magic or D&D &D or Adventure League or something were men. And just making that observation, I just started asking myself, is this a boys club? Is there, is there something in role-playing or maybe not even role-playing, but like nerd culture that attracts men uh, and not women? And so I think this is something that I would love to explore and start asking questions about. Yeah, it makes me wonder, okay, why is that? Is it because of the game itself, maybe the environment that it's played in, the attitude of the people at the table? Yeah, what's going on? Yeah, there's definitely something about the game that attracts men, because if there wasn't, then the friendly local game store wouldn't look like that. True. There has to be some sort of nuance to this. I'm sure there's a complexity to it. And I just want to make sure, and maybe it's important that we say this up front, that we really want to handle this topic with care. And totally. we, we want to make sure that we choose our words carefully and that we set up our interviews carefully. And because we know that, and we have seen already, that just asking this question can be offensive to some people and divisive in certain ways. But at the same time, asking this question can be empowering to other people. And so I think it's important that we ask this question and we look at these nuances, but I just want to make sure that we do so carefully. Yeah, and thoughtfully. Maybe we shouldn't be surprised then that some people are offended by this. And I don't want it to be true either, you know, that there's something about the game that is unwelcoming to women. So I get where that, that feeling is coming from. And look, at the end of the day, we either ask these questions and we discover D&D role-playing games, tabletop games, don't favor men, and there is a true gender equality present at the table, in which case we can celebrate that. And we could say, wow, D&D hmm. &D and nerd culture, it's exempt from what we see in the larger culture. Or we ask these questions and we learn some things about why D&D &D does in fact lean toward men or why it is easier for men to play the game. And then we can take those ideas and we can start asking more questions and maybe we could start to see some good change in our culture, nerd culture, that helps women to feel more comfortable at the table. 100%. Yeah, if you found out that there was something keeping the game from being welcoming to certain people, like, wouldn't you want to make a change? Absolutely. And I think it's important just to be clear. We are not 
instigating anything in this episode. We're just trying to investigate an observation. Yeah, we need to look into this. Yeah, let's check it out. So, Josh, what about you? Do you think D&D is a boys club? Yeah, so to be honest, where I'm coming from is in the last couple of years, I've been coming awake to all the ways that, as a man, I experience the world differently than women. I have more opportunities in some cases, and sometimes my opinion is viewed as more valid. And I have this suspicion that maybe it's that way in D&D too. And my heart aches a little bit that maybe it is, even this, in this fantastic world where we can create it however that we want. Like we brought these issues along and I want to look into that and see, you know, is that going on here? Yeah. How about you? I'm not sure, but getting ready for this episode, I was reflecting on the first time I watched Critical Role. And I remember turning it on, watching the episode and seeing men and women sitting at that table. And for some reason, when I saw the women at the table, I just wasn't expecting that. And there was something inside of me that was just like, oh, women are playing. But I didn't have that same sort of reaction to men playing. Gotcha. I think that that subtle surprise inside of me sort of hinted at some sort of expectation that I mm. had. So does that mean I think D&D is a boys club? I'm not sure. But I do think that it reveals some sort of bias that I came into the game with. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. Of course, this question is so much bigger than you and I, and so per usual, I set out to Reddit to get their unbridled reactions. Mm, yeah, so many. To see what I could learn from the D&D community around the world. All right, so uh, what'd you find? Yeah, so as I usually do, I am going to try to sort of categorize them into common responses. Okay. So many people said, no, it, it's not a boys club. Some people said, no, period. Wow. That's all they said. Not too helpful, but they gave their opinion. Okay. One person said, hell no. In my games, we have a genuine equal mix, and not just because their other half is there, they genuinely love the game. Somebody else said, no, Dungeons and Dragons is a game for everyone. Another person said, there's been a woman in every game I've ever played in. And then again, somebody else says, nope, sure wouldn't. Tons of female players, which is interesting to me. I'm really glad that these Redditors contributed their input, but as I was reading how they read my question, they were coming at it from the sense of, do women sit at the table? And they answered yes. But I don't think that's fully what we're trying to get at. True. We're not just asking, do you let them into your treehouse? Correct. We're curious about women's ability and authority to shape the game, both at the level of their session or campaign at the table that they're playing at, but then also source material or articles or larger Wizards of the Coast culture, right? So. To this point, one person said it really well. They said, it's not a boys club in terms of numbers, they don't think. But when you listen to the stories of non-cis males, culturally that is, obviously there are exceptions. Okay, these responses make sense to me. I mean, if the game is representing you, then why change it? Mm -hmm. If you feel underrepresented, then obviously you're going to have things to say. Correct. Okay, so a lot of people started commenting on how things have been changing and how... They might have called D&D a boys club 10, 20, 30 years ago, but not anymore. Okay. I thought that was interesting. A couple of people were commenting and they were actually listing about a dozen or so articles from Wizards magazines that mm -hmm. were directly related to women playing the game. Okay. So some of the titles were things like women want equality and why not? Why do most men feel threatened by women players? And so there's a ton of articles that talked about this issue from back in the 80s and 90s. Oh my gosh, so this isn't a new question at all. No, it's not. Okay, it's good to know. One of those 
commenters went on to say that there are more people playing D&D now than ever before. Women now make up close to 40% of the D&D community. And while the goal is that the number would still reach and reflect the wider population, it's a huge leap from 2012 when women may only made up about 20 to 25% of okay. players. That's like six-ish years, seven yeah. years from now. That's a really big increase. It is a big increase. Yeah. I Also, what I like about that is that they're giving us a tool to measure, you know, is there something about our population group versus the population at large that is making the game appeal to certain people? So we can say, in the D&D community, what percentage of these types of people play and enjoy the game versus at large, you know, what does our general population look like in right. these demographic categories? Yeah. This Redditor continued to talk about how advanced D&D was actually not a really good time for female players because of the attitudes and the posture mm. and some of the source material and how NPCs were portrayed. They said that third and fourth edition got a little better, but it hasn't been until fifth edition that the female NPCs and the posture and the attitude towards female players has actually been more encouraging and properly reflecting female players. She said that there's still more male gamers than female, but it's evening out more and more. And for the newer, younger generations, it's not going to be a big, noticeable issue for many groups, and they love that. Okay, so there's like this progression from older versions to newer versions. So yes. they're putting a lot of work into making it more reflective of the general population. But to me, it's kind of this tell that it actually takes effort to represent women. So why is that? It's because there's some natural tendency, maybe, yeah. to represent men. Yeah. So the next general category of comments that I found could be summarized in, it depends on the table. So, you know, one person says, D&D is a boys club if the DM and the players make it so, but it doesn't have to be. Okay, so they think the D&D has the capacity to be fully inclusive, but often people don't play it that way. Correct. Okay, and that is tough to separate sometimes when you're trying to decide is this a problem with the game or the people who are implementing the game? Yeah, it's sort of a callback to our problem player episode. It depends on the table that you're playing at. Totally. Another person says, in my experience, in 5th edition, it all depends on the group composition. D&D is not from the start a boys club nor a girls club. It all depends on how it's played. And then they sort of had this caveat in the end. Older editions may be more of a boys club. What's unique about this answer is I asked this question in an all-female subreddit. And this was the highest upvoted response in the all-female subreddit. Oh, wow, in the all-female subreddit. Yeah. Okay, so this really resonated with their experience. Yes. Okay, that's substantial. Okay, there was another category that was really surprising to me, and I'm really glad we found this because I think there's really something here. This person was saying that there is a difference between global culture and group culture. Ooh. So this person identified as a cis woman, and she said, inherently, no. I think there's nothing in D&D that makes it more quote-unquote male, and particularly nowadays, its books are as welcoming as one could really hope for. And she says, in her personal experience at her table, she would also say no. However, in her overall experience in the D&D sphere, like forums or Reddit or blogs, Twitter accounts, maybe Instagram accounts too, she would say, unfortunately, yes. She thinks it is a boys' club. She said, progress is being made but it still feels like we're somewhat underrepresented. A fair few of the big podcasts have good gender balances or even trend female, which is nice, but when you dig down, it's just a bit and it goes strongly male. 
basically everyone I see putting out their homebrew or talking through theories of play or D&D mechanics or how to DM is male. And then that goes double for the more general population, the Redditors, the Twitter comments, and so on. So she says, so while I get to play D&D without a care, I'm a lot more conscious of my gender when I try to talk online about it. And I certainly think my experience is different from a man's there. Particularly, a lot of careless sexism, not even necessarily ill-intentioned, but quite present, is still thrown around by guys lacking self-awareness. It registers a lot for a woman, I think, and certainly hurts more. Okay, I'm really glad you found this comment too, because it shows a distinction between the game itself and the materials being put out, and then the people, the culture surrounding it. We're trying to investigate the culture too. So even if the game itself is like progressing toward a more open, uh, pliable, accepting, inclusive version, the culture around it still has a lot of growth to do that has not really like emanated. And maybe like the male centrism is still embedded in it. Yeah, that's well said. I think the reason I love this comment, Josh, is because this is us. This comment is you and I. We're doing a podcast and there's no women at our table. Now, we've gotten great feedback because we have women as our interviews and we often get a female perspective there. But still, you and I are hosting this and it's our voices. Yeah, and I think that's really valid. And I think that's something you and I should be thinking about moving forward. I think so too. Yeah. The last theme of comments that I found were basically about the friendly local game store where my observation started. So they would say, yes, in a public setting like adventure leagues or at conventions, they've definitely been the only woman. That would be lonely. Another person said, I agree with the comments saying games run in game shops like adventure league tend to be male dominated, but I personally have been playing for eight years and I've always been in mixed gender groups. So there again is a difference between the home group and the game shop. Culture at large. Here's what I think the bottom line is that I learned from the Reddit comments. Even if you would say, no, D&D is not a boys club. If this many women are saying there is something about the game that makes them feel uncomfortable or unwanted or is explicitly threatening women, at the very least, a conversation should be had. And maybe appropriately, we should try to start taking some steps toward understanding and correction. Yeah, I know it sounds cliche, but if you see this happening, for all of us, say something. Yeah. Stop that, you know, gently, personally with that person. Pull them aside and say, hey, this is not okay. This is marginalizing people who are really important to our hobby. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we are going to listen to an interview that you had with our friend Laura as you and her talked about her experience at our table. Yes. Hey, Anthony, do you remember the last time we started a campaign and you had this really cool dice bag? Yeah, my wife made it for me and she actually made the bag to match my dice. Ugh. I was really jealous because the whole time I just brought mine in a headphone case. I remember that. Fortunately, we made a new friend on Instagram who I think could help you with that. Okay. His Instagram account is Dicemail. And what he does is he makes dice bags that are like chainmail. Like the armor that my character wears. Exactly. And you can get them in different colors like gold or silver, black or white, even rainbow. You can get all different styles for your bag. That makes total sense because if my character has an armor class, why shouldn't my dice? Exactly. 
Well, we were able to have a really great interview with one of our friends. Little backstory, you and I started playing D&D about a year and a half ago. And when we were about 10 sessions into our game, we invited our friend to come and hang out and watch the game because she was interested in it. That didn't last too long. She ended up loving the game and rolling a character in and joining our campaign. So you were actually able to talk to her. Uh, her name is Laura. Hi, my name is Laura Rodriguez, and I played D&D with you guys for the better part of a year or so. And you got to ask her some really great questions about her experience at our table. That's right. And one of the first questions that I asked her was, does she feel like any part of the game is different for her just because she's a woman? Yeah, I, I think there were moments um, where I just felt like very overlooked. Um, so I could maybe suggest an action like, OK, let's try this. And I was either not heard or someone would later suggest the exact same thing I just suggested. And everyone's like, yes, that's a great idea. <laughs> and I'm like, are you kidding me? Um, so like feeling like I, I was kind of not heard. I was expected to not know a lot. And, and I, I didn't know a lot coming in. Like I was a first time D&D player. Um, so sometimes there was even like that fine line of where is someone actually helping me and providing useful direction? And when are they just kind of mansplaining to me <laughs> or like almost being condescending? When you say it, you know, just so straightforwardly about being overlooked and things like that, it's like a little bit cringeworthy to think like there's a player here who is getting consistently overlooked, you know, who we like especially invited as a friend, you know, to come and play with us. So um, hearing it out loud, you know, it triggers a reaction in me, which is like, wow, that happened. So one thing we want to investigate is we wonder sometimes if D&D comes across as like a boys club. And so I just wondered, have you ever felt like you were like on the outside looking in? Yeah, I, I definitely think that happens a lot. I, I think um, sometimes it's like the subtle ways that just like sometimes the way I see female D&D characters mm -hmm. are portrayed and they're very like hypersexualized. Mm -hmm. And it's like, is my character supposed to be like that? And mm -hmm. Like, I'm all for, like, women kind of choosing how they, like, want to represent themselves. So if they want their character to be like that, sure. that's that's fine. That's great. Um, but it does kind of feel like, am I, like, entering this male fantasy world? And I, I think what's, like, ironic about it is that so much of the appeal of D&D, &D, what people tell me that they love about it, is they love that it's a way to escape. That it's kind of this escapism mechanism where they can enter this world of fantasy and kind of detach from reality a little mm. bit. And it, But it's, like, whenever... I as a woman like come in and there's these little like microaggressions or little instances where I'm reminded that this is actually a man's world. I don't actually get to escape from reality. Like I'm actually reminded that I'm still in a man's world, you know? So I, I think from the outside looking in, it does kind of feel like they are catering to a per, like a particular demographic and that demographic is usually male. Yeah, that's really eye-opening, um, especially when you talk about wanting to escape and have fun time where you don't have to think about the problems in your life or in the world. And so um, we're having different experiences on both sides of the table where it's like, for me, um, I get to like escape all the complexity that comes along with my gender, my ethnicity, my sexuality. I don't have to like bring those things into the game if I don't want to. So to know that on the other side of the table, you're not being extended the same, you know, privilege just based on the way that we're playing, in some ways unwittingly, you know, it's um, kind of confirms a little bit that there's like 
two different experiences going on sometimes. Mm -hmm. So on this podcast, we're making an investigation check to see, okay, do women have a different experience playing D&D, positive or negative? And I just want to ask you, what do you think? I can't speak for all women uh, who've played D&D ever, but I guess from speaking from my own experience, I definitely think women have a different experience playing D&D than, than most men. Yeah, well said. Everyone's experience will be different. Um, and could you just maybe, are there some natural ways or are there ways that you can wrap up in a sentence to say these are some of the ways I think that women or yourself are experiencing D&D differently? I guess just kind of like you touched on earlier, not really feeling like you have the ability to bring the fullness of who you are, hmm. that you kind of have to maybe check your emotions or your creativity or whatever it is like those qualities that you consider more feminine. And I hate labeling it feminine, but those things that are traditionally understood to be feminine, like check them out the door and there's no space for that here. So like kind of compartmentalizing your life a little bit, like I'm this way in life, but I'm this way when I'm at the table. Um, so for better or for worse, I feel like that's been, and just like the little subtle reminders mm. that like you're still living in a man's world, even in another reality. Yeah, yeah, really well said. And I think that's what I personally care about this, which is that we're missing something, you know, big and beautiful in the game because we're not making it an environment, you know, where there's space for that, mm -hmm. there's space for you. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Thank you. Yeah. So, Laura, before we go, is there something else that you just want to offer on the topic of D&D &D that you want to tell people? Mm. I mean, I think the biggest thing when I was reflecting on this when you guys asked me to do this interview was just like I would like women to have the same opportunity to be in another world and kind of leave everything behind to have the opportunity to escape, relax, whatever, you know, whatever D&D &D is for you and to not feel like you're hindered by your gender. Um, yeah, I think that just makes me really sad when I'm like reminded of the ways that like I, I don't get to escape reality in this moment um, because, oh, yeah. We're still, I'm still at a man's table. I'm still in a man's world. So whatever ways that we can like make space for women to just enter in like full heartedly, unapologetically, I think we should absolutely do that. was a really great conversation that you were able to have with Laura. I'm really glad that you guys had that conversation and she felt free enough and safe enough to be vulnerable and open about her experience. Definitely. When it's close to home, it could feel risky. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What did you think about it? Yeah, I frankly am just surprised. I think when we invited her to be on this episode and we said, be open and honest, I I expected her to say no. There was no hint of a boys club. There was no bias towards men. I felt really welcome and like I was one of the gang. So for her to say yes is alarming to me and catches me off guard a little bit because I think it could be easy for me to think, oh, we're doing this episode. We have an awareness or we're the one pitching this idea and doing this investigation check. And so... Maybe we're exempt from playing at a table that has some sort of bias towards men or has some hints of a boys club. She even used the word microaggression, right? Yeah. So she wasn't saying that there was a big problem at the table. She was just saying that there was little subtle things 
that were present in our even our gameplay, yeah. our campaign, that she picked up on. And so, one, I'm really thankful that she was honest about it. And two, I'm just surprised that that was even at our table and I didn't pick up on them. Yeah, that brings up a great point, which is that uh, sometimes I get confused about knowing something and actually the change happening inside of me. Yeah. So I know that sometimes at a table with mostly men that women will feel constrained or ha have microaggressions against them, but that does not mean that I'm not sometimes causing those problems. Yeah. And there's more to do than just know about this, that it is the case, that it does sometimes happen. Yeah. So what about you? Listening back to that conversation that you had with her, what, what catches your attention? What sticks out to you as you as you hear that? It's really interesting to listen to it again after our investigation. Yeah. Uh, because I think the conversation could have been really different. Uh -huh. And um, it's a sign that everybody grows, you know, and I don't need to be ashamed of the fact that I didn't know what questions to ask at that point, and I would ask different questions now. Sure. She said this comment uh, that really stuck out to me now, which okay. is, am I coming into this male fantasy world? Mm. And that just like evokes all these ideas in my head now, which is like, um, what does she mean? To me, she meant there's a role here that I'm supposed to play. She's like tuned into that in a way that I was not. So that means that in order for me to be part of this group, I need to actually uh, meet people's expectations, mm -hmm. meet our expectations. Yeah, That means that implicitly, she's not asking to herself, how can I explore this character that I'm bringing into the world? How can I explore some part of myself? All the attention is kind of in, am I going to be received you know, in this narrative? And what do I need to do in order to like say the right thing and respond in the right way so that I can be, even just be part of this story? It's just not a recipe for thriving. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we got to sit down with Lily, and we had this incredible conversation. Yeah, we realized that we had a mutual friend, and that person connected us and sort of brokered that relationship. We were able to have a phone call, and we immediately hit it off, and we were really excited to sit down with her and ask her some of these questions. So we sat down with Lily. Uh, hi, my name is Lily. I am the DM for Roll for Damage, and I play lots of Dungeons and Dragons, and those are my credentials for things. And we started off by asking her about this hypothesis that we have, which is uh, that women experience D&D differently, and we just asked her if she'd speak into that. Absolutely, I think that that's true. And the reason that I know that this is true is because I run a stream that is predominantly females and female identifying women. Uh, I also run a females only night in our local D&D community. And every time I run these events, I have women thanking me for doing this because they feel shy or uncomfortable or nervous about playing around men. And the reason that I know that this is a different perspective from men is because I have had conversations with men where I mentioned that I do this and I'll get responses like, oh, that's so sexist. That's like really uh, div divisive and like really prejudiced just for women. Like, why can't you have like all guys nights? And I'm like, dude, I've been at all guy nights. Mm -hmm. Like those are most of the D&D &D nights. And just the difference in the perceptions that we have here, not saying that like every guy who plays D&D &D is that dude that I just made up that voice for, but like <laughs> just the fact that there are men out there, like a number of them, enough to be notable, who have said that to me, makes me realize that this here is the crux of the matter. And this here is the problem where they perceive it as showing favoritism towards women because like 
whatever. And women are just like, I just want to have my space and I want to feel com comfortable. And I've also heard stories from women that are just, you know, awful, atrocious things that have happened to them at the table that made them really scared to want to play D&D again. And just knowing that that is an experience that happens, even if it doesn't happen to like everyone, the fact that it happens to one, two, even three women, like that's too many. So that's my prospect on it. I fortunately myself have had very positive experiences because I only work with uh, communities and like games where I know everyone is going to be respectful and I also lay down the law when I'm at the table. I don't put up with nothing. Good. Good. <laughs> you got to let them sometimes know. Sometimes you have to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You're not the first person that we've talked to that has said, I craft my games in such a way as to be safe. Um, mm -hmm. We were interviewing somebody over in Europe mm -hmm. uh, maybe a month and a half ago. Kitsy. Yeah. And they were saying that they only play online and they only play with people that they know will be safe for them because they just don't want to take a chance. D&D is too sacred to them. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's one of the safe places that they have. Yeah. And so that they're not comfortable maybe with like mixed company that's going to potentially ruin that setting. For sure. Um, I DM'd at Gen Con this year and it was my first time DMing in a place where like, so I DM'd around Toronto a lot, but it's all within my community where I'm very close with the guy who starts the community and runs it and knows that he'll have my back if anything goes down. But Gen Con, I was just like, had no idea what it was going to be like. And it was intimidating, honestly, the first few days there, like there were a lot of white men and I was this small Asian girl uh, bopping around in the sea of just like Caucasian people, which was cool. But I was also just like, felt like there was a target on my back kind of, especially when people would walk in and I would see them register me as the DM at their table. And I would notice, you know, some people hesitate or like look a little unsure and are like, wait, you're going to be my DM. Like you're not a dude. You're not a white dude. <laughs> you're like this bubbly little thing. Like, what are you going to do? Um, just by the way, I got my scores back and I killed it that weekend. So yeah, you did. I saw that even Boom. if people were unsure, I proved them wrong, but there is that hesitation. There is that sort of like split second judgment of just like, wait, it's a cognitive dissonance that I'm hoping to smooth over with my mm -hmm. existence. I absolutely love the way that you put that. And I think it's really telling to see the like actual numbers and then to see that reaction where it's like you see a person, they don't have a box in their head for what they're seeing right now. Mm -hmm. It shows you, oh, okay, there's something structural that needs to change in their minds. Mm -hmm. I think too, the example that you gave of the guy, you did the voice, oh, wait, is this, a, you know, it's interesting to me because if, if noticing that women feel the need for a space that's just their own, and then that coupled also with a man who has such a strong reaction and wants to call that sexism or, or whatever, that those two things alone should be a red flag for that male, right? That, that guy to step back and say, okay, there's two things happening here. One, they need this space. And two, I'm having a really strong emotional reaction that I need to label this and, mm -hmm. and threaten it. Um, and so I don't know, maybe anybody who's listening to this interview, if that's sort of their experience, I would just want to say, take a deep breath and just sort of maybe try to have an out-of-body experience and just notice what's happening, mm. right? Because I'm a white male mm. and 
I forget, I, I don't, I have the privilege of going into a setting that's a bunch of white men. And I just, am like, Oh, I'm here. I belong. This is my people. Um, I'm not a small woman. <laughs> uh, and I, you know, when I, when I get in that space, I don't feel that, um, displacement. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I just think that's super important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. For sure. It's, uh, it's something that I never really experienced until I was in this community, honestly, because from where I'm from, um, which is Toronto and Ottawa, Canada, it's like crazy populated with Asian people. So it wasn't until I started going to like Indiana, Indianapolis, that I was like, whoa. Yeah. That's where you're that's, from. That's where I'm from. That's where I'm from. Uh, Amazing. Fits Wild. By the Wild. pair. Yeah. I did the accent super good. Right? Hey, you nailed you me. Nailed. That's it. The Hoosiers, Hoosiers in the house. Um, can you tell us just a little bit about Roll for Damage and um, maybe just share with us that story of like why you created that space and what the big idea was behind that. And, and maybe the, and maybe if there's like a message you're sort of sending with that stream, what, what is that? Totally. Uh, I love talking about role for damage. It's my favorite project. So it is a fems and friends Twitch stream that I DM for. And it actually came about because of this Toronto D and D community that I'm a part of. We had been planning like a ladies night, um, but we kept like having a really hard time with the name. So it was like Sladies night, except that doesn't look good written or like <laughs> dungeons and dames, but that sounds like something else entirely. So me and my friend Jess, <laughs> um, me and my friend Jess, the other executive producer, we were like going back and forth. And then somebody said, roll for damage. And I was like, roll for damage. So it was really to create that special night. Um, but then we were like, this name is amazing. And we need to make this into a stream, right? And so then we did. Uh, we gathered up, well, we gathered up various other women in our lives. Uh, I had been friends with Maxine because she was one of the first people I played D&D with here in Toronto. And then Amanda, we knew from Storm Crow Manor. And Meg was also from Toronto D&D. And we just got together and we started doing it. And I think that when we went into it, our intention was definitely like, let's have an all-female D&D stream. An actual play stream where we're running a game. It's a homebrew world. It's serious. Like, it's fun, but it's also serious. And it's not just sort of uh, fluffy. You know what I mean? So that was our intention going in. And I think now we've sort of evolved it and shaped it a little bit more. Um, and one of the things that's been sort of uncovered, in my opinion, uh, out of that is we're sort of trying to represent this other side of nerdy girls, because I think what we see right now on stream are a lot of your like girl next door, innocent kind of nerdy girls that are really kind and bubbly and et cetera. And not that we aren't those things, but we're also sort of this less conventional looking nerdy girl, like no glasses. Uh, we're, you know, more modely kind of people, but we also really love D and D and that's something that I personally really want to vouch for because I know a lot of women in their like mid twenties that are like Instagram models and like really living life, going clubbing and like using all their time to do that. And I know they would love D and D, but they don't see people like them playing D and D. So why would they try it? So a lot of the time I will try and dress up and look really pretty on stream. And I know the other girls will too, because we just want to normalize that as much as possible. I really love that you guys take your fashion seriously. Um, <laughs> I love that you had like 
you know, a scene in a setting where it was a ball and everyone was like picking out their outfits and pairing together their character with like a model dress. Like that was really cool. And it, it, it reminds me of what you said about the inner person, the, the invisible person. Mm-hmm. Because you can look at the outside uh, of a woman, you know, and the women that are in your group and think like, oh, they fit into this other category over here. Um, and then you, I go to the stream and then I, and I scroll through and I see like, oh, wow, there's like, there's character there, there's depth there. And, um, it's a message that I need to hear. So thank you, thank you for I really doing it. That. Yes. <laughs> we just want to be feminine, but also nerdy. And those things should be allowed to exist together. In yeah, my absolutely. opinion. 100%. Well said. So the final question to just wrap it up is. We want to hear your vision. Like, what do you think needs to change? So I think that change is a really big word for something that I see as more like micro changes. I don't think that the world needs someone to get up on a pedestal and like demand that every new Wizards of the Coast module has like people of color and queer people. Like, of course, yes, please include that. But I think in general, overall, all we need to do is make micro changes ourselves as individual people when we come to the table. We need to be aware of the biases that everyone brings. Like even someone who is like a cis straight white male has an entire experience that you may not know about. That's one of the things that I appreciate the most about safety tools like X cards because you never know what people are doing inside of themselves. Uh, I've had a player who was really freaked out by vomiting noises. And I didn't know that until they X-carded me making some retching sounds. And I was like, amazing. Now we know and we can move forward. So all of these micro changes are really going to help create a space where more women feel comfortable playing, more queer, uh, non-binary, et cetera. All people want to play D&D. And remembering that we are all coming to the table with respect and the intention of creating a story together. So the more that we can be mindful of how everyone fits into a story and not just some people, uh, it really enhances the experience and makes it great for everyone. And the more people who do that on a regular basis, the more it'll just sweep across the industry and we'll be able to eliminate some of those bigger prejudicial challenges. That was an incredible conversation. Man, I learned so much. So many good things shared. So many fantastic ideas came out of that conversation. Yeah, like for example, the thing that stuck out to me was if we can't see the same thing, yeah then how are we going to get anywhere? So Mm -hmm. if I think I'm seeing reality this way and somebody else is seeing it this way, um, of course we're going to come to different conclusions. So it makes me want to get on the same page and say, okay, you're seeing a problem here. Let me see what is it that you're seeing. Tell me about that thing. So listening back to that conversation, what I heard and what really catches my attention is when Lily talks about micro changes because it, echoes back to what Laura said with microaggressions. Oh, wow. So both of them are using this prefix micro to sort of describe the problem, not as this big overarching looming problem at Uh every table and every culture and all source material. They're both saying 
It's just the small things. We don't have this big problem. We just have these little things that kind of peek their head up, present the problem, and then go away. But it's enough of those little small things that can really tint an experience for someone, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So I think it's really interesting that they both notice a problem, but they both call them very small. Yeah. And, and I think you're right. It's not that they're saying the problem is small, only that the way the problem presents, you know, comes up in little doses. And then maybe the way that you can remedy that also is in small doses. Yeah. A lot of small changes will go a long way. Yeah. Just like a lot of little problems represents a serious setback. Absolutely. I think talking to Lily made me want to own the problem more. Mm. I think when she was describing people coming to her table, registering her as the DM, and like having this kind of perplexed moment, uh, I think I want to include myself in that and say, there's still structural changes that need to happen in my own brain. Yeah. Uh, and it just represents the work. Instead of just knowing that that's the case in other people's lives and also my own, saying, okay, uh, what can I actually do, you know? to um, change my mind on this and, and actually open it up to, to a place where this is not a strange thing. Same. I want to change my mind and I want the change to have a behavioral effect. I want to lead out of that change with my voice, like whatever this podcast might lend my voice to be, I would hope that I could leverage that in my own game and any tables that I'm invited to, to lead in that way. Me too. And that comment that she said, that she wants to address a cognitive dissonance with her existence. Yeah, I would say the same exact thing. Lily, me too. Yeah. I think just by being, that's such a powerful thing. And Lily, I think that you are doing it. Yeah. So Anthony, what did you feel like you learned in this investigation? I think I learned the importance of listening. Mm. It's easy to come in and impose your own ideas and your own experience and your own opinions into a question like this. especially a question that brings in a lot of assumptions and carries a lot of emotional weight. And I think it's easy to just come in with that sort of posture, like I know, right? Mm. But I just think I learned that it's really good, especially for men to maybe just sit back, be quiet, and listen to the experiences of women and not so readily write it off if we're offended by it or if it threatens us in some way, but to listen to the stories and to consider it and to make their stories our stories and to identify and make that problem our problem when they do present an issue. That resonates with me a lot. And if we're going to really make it a community for everybody, you need to see everyone's problems as our problems. Yeah. Not like, that's your problem. That's something you need to work on to deal with it. Yeah, this is, all, this is our hobby. Yeah. And let's deal with it together. How wonderful is it that D&D is a safe place for me and for you? I want it to be a safe place for everyone. Me too. Deeply. Josh, what about you? What did you learn? I feel like I got a history lesson, particularly from the women who rung in on Reddit and oh. the women in our interviews. Okay. Yeah, this problem, this question has been going on for a long time, and I'm new to this question. And uh, we, I'll just say in our community, and I'm a part of that, have been uh, working on this for a long time and making incremental changes to the way that D&D works as uh, a game, the rules, you know, the, the manuals. And that work is ongoing, and it's ripe now, I think, for us to pick up and carry on that work. As he went through each category of the Reddit comments, it made me realize that some of the parts that are lacking are the community part. And I think that people creating the core of D&D &D as a game can only take the change so far, the social change. 
And so you and I are sitting down at tables. You and I have a microphone in front of our face right now. And there's things we can do. There's little micro things that you and I can do that will help to make it a game for everybody. Mm -hmm. And uh, the people who are creating D&D, it sounds like there's a consensus that they're giving us the tools to do that. Yeah. And we have a great opportunity right now yeah. uh, to like start making incremental changes uh, and carrying those forward. Well said. Yeah. That reminds me of something that I heard. When you're trying to affect change, the last 10% is the most difficult to accomplish because once you get to about 90%, most people think we're already there. And so oftentimes the challenge to overcome and the last 10% is convincing people that we still have 10% of the way to go. And so this history lesson sort of makes me feel like maybe we're in the last 10%. And maybe part of what we need to do is kind of sober up and say, we're not there yet. There are still some small things that we need to change. And we could easily be the generation of D&D players that bring us to that last 10%. I would love for our hobby to really shine as an example to the broader culture of a place that is um, fully inclusive, where anybody could come and play and grow and thrive and uh, grow socially, find uh, therapeutic value, just to call back to our previous episodes, find friends, find community, find a respite from the problems that our culture is still wrestling with at large. And I would love for our hobby to be the one that is an example to everyone. Yes. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as we enjoyed making it. Big thanks to everyone who helped contribute to this episode. Thanks to Laura, Lily, and everyone who shared their thoughts on Reddit. And of course, thank you to our sponsor, Dice Meal, for sponsoring this episode. We'll be releasing episodes on the first of every month, so if you'd like more content before episode four is released, head over to our Patreon page. We post our bonus content there. Bonus content from the podcast is always going to be free, but if you'd like to support us, we welcome you to opt into one of our Patreon support tiers. If you'd like to connect with us in a more social way, feel free to follow us on Instagram. Our username is investigationcheck. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you're notified as soon as each episode is released. Be on the lookout for the next episode coming soon. As always, ratings and reviews go a long way. So if you liked our podcast, it would mean a lot to us if you gave us a quick rating and review on whichever podcasting app you use. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> boys Club. <laughs> boys, boys Club. <laughs>